Hey y'all, Adam here. Last week the guys went overtime and recorded for over two hours, and so we split the episode up into two parts. The first part debuted last week, and part two is this week. And the guys start off by jumping into an LR question from Practice Test 65, and we're just going to get right into it. Here we go. All right, so we have this logical reasoning question. We have that and a personal statement on the agenda. I've got all the time in the world, Ben. It depends on how long you want to go. Uh, let's do it. I will read this. This is from Test 65, Section 4. It's question 15. It's a logical reasoning question. So you can you can actually find this in the free trial of the demon uh, if you want to do that. Anyways, copyright was originally the grant of a temporary government-supported monopoly on copying a work. Okay, it's a little it's a little wordy, but as I sit here and think about it, it's like, okay, so they're telling us what they think of copyright. They think that copyright is this thing that's, one, it's granted by the government, and two, it gives you a monopoly. In other words, you're the only player in a certain space for your work. And and one thing that I'm keying in on is the use of originally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they're not telling you necessarily what it is. They're telling you what it originally was. was. Sure. Excellent point. Which now I'm going to use my reading comprehension skills, which number one tip for reading comp, try to predict what you think is going to come next. When I hear it was originally this... I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. Well, what is it now? No. Or what do you think? Has it, it is changed? Now. Yep. Okay. Next sentence. Its sole purpose was to encourage the circulation of ideas by giving authors the opportunity to derive a reasonable financial reward from their works. Um, as I read this, it said its sole purpose was to encourage the circulation of ideas, right? And how did it do that? By giving them a financial incentive. I don't necessarily agree with that because it's such a strong claim that it it was its sole purpose, but this feels like a premise to me. So I'm just going to be like, okay, um, apparently that's what its sole purpose was. Um, I don't know whether that's actually true, but it doesn't really It matter. is kind of weird, right? Because it's like, well, the end was this, but the means were this other thing. And so it, it, it necessarily, it's kind of contradicting itself, to be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, the sole purpose was the, to encourage the circulation of ideas, by by what now? How did it do that? Oh, well, it made it so that the creators could get a reasonable financial reward for their works. So, <laughs> wait a second. Copyright, which is the opposite of free circulation of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, all right. It's, they're, they're kind of talking around in circles. Mm-hmm. You know, the sole purpose was to encourage the circulation of ideas by making it so that nobody else could circulate these ideas without paying the author. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, which, it's all historical still, right? Um, which I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm deducing from my own real world experience. Like, okay, I get it. Like, you are limiting the circulation of ideas by only allowing the author to do that, but you're assuming that if you hadn't have done this, then the author wouldn't have created the ideas in the first place, right? So, right. That's been something is totally, better than nothing. And, I like that you're bringing in outside background knowledge, right? Like many people know that the copyright on Mickey Mouse has been extended over and over and over again, far beyond the life of Walt Disney, who created Mickey Mouse. Now, how the hell does that give Walt Disney the opportunity to derive a reasonable financial reward from his brilliant creation of Mickey Mouse. I think most reasonable people agree that that's a perverse interpretation of if the sole purpose of copyright was to encourage the circulation of ideas, then surely Mickey Mouse should be out of copyright 
now that we're 40 years or whatever after Walt Disney dropped dead. Yeah. Okay. So I still feel like the other shoe is going to drop here, right? They, yep. they got to say this isn't the case anymore. However, there you go. The shoe is starting to drop. However, yep. copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose since sometimes, and then we have a blank line here, and whenever you have a blank line, you just have to try to fill it in. It's not that hard. Um, <laughs> it's a complete the argument question. Oh, if only I had known that before I had read this passage. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's no such thing as a complete the argument question. <laughs> not, yeah. not really in any useful way. I mean, yeah. Ben is correct that it's not that hard. You do have to just sort of fill in the blank. It, but it's not about like you inventing something new. It's about, hey, were you following along with their logic? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Yeah. And I do want to call attention here to one key word in the argument mm. because that one word tells us that this is a strengthening question. Sense. Yeah. Yep. They're looking for a premise. They're not looking for a conclusion. This is not a must-be-true question or a main conclusion question. They're looking for a premise, yep. as indicated by the word since. What's going to fill in this blank is something that supports what came before the since. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to prove that copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose, which they have described for us kind of at length. Mm -hmm. Right. Two full sentences about the original purpose of copyright. Mm -hmm. And now they're telling us that, Hey, we got a problem. Copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose since blank. So they said its sole purpose was to encourage the circulation of ideas by giving authors the opportunity to derive a reasonable financial reward from their works. So in my mind, any answer that shows us trying to accomplish something other than encouraging the circulation of ideas or doing something other than helping these authors derive a reasonable, reasonable is kind of an interesting word there too, financial reward. Now it's going beyond what it said in that second sentence. And I'm looking at that answer as a potential option. So my prediction here would be sometimes it does more than encourage the circulation of ideas. It also encourages enterprise or something like, I don't know. So I'm just guessing. Like something more. My than prediction this. here would would have to do with my background knowledge of the fucked up copyright problem. I mean, this is something that many people understand. Like this is something this is something that many people like it's actually taken from relatively recent news. The Disney example is perfect here. Mm-hmm. Like if copyright's purpose really was just to encourage the circulation of ideas by giving authors the opportunity to derive a reasonable financial reward from their works, then how the fuck does it make sense that we keep extending the copyright on Mickey Mouse so that the Disney Corporation can get multi-billions of dollars off of this work decades after Walt Disney died? Well, that example also shows that the sole purpose was not just to encourage the circulation of ideas, but to make well, more money, right? Maybe it was when it first, maybe it was, I'm granting their premise that the original purpose of copyright was this, Yeah. but the endless extensions of copyright on certain creations sh sh clearly is not meeting that original purpose. Okay, now that's outside information. Am I allowed to bring in outside information? You're not allowed to add outside information to the passage as if it were stated there, but by all means, you have to bring that information into play to be the best you can be at evaluating the legitimacy of what was said. And it's a strength in question. Yeah. The question says the conclusion of the argument is most strongly supported if. 
which one of the following completes the passage? So we can rearrange that. Yeah, which one of the following right. is true? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If one of these five is true, we're going to support their conclusion that copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose. So my Walt Disney example, if I go down into these answer choices and I see something about the Disney corporation has been able to successfully extend copyright on Mickey mouse 40 years after Walt Disney was on the ground, that's not me bringing in outside information. That's the question. That's the answer saying something that if it were true would strengthen the argument. Yeah. So they're asking. So, so it's like, I am using my brain. I am mm-hmm. using my outside knowledge of the world, mm-hmm. but I have to find it in the answer choices. And because it's a strengthen question, I get to assume the truth of that answer when I pick it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I, if I see Walt Disney down here, that's the answer. Answer choice right. A says, sometimes publication of copyrighted works is not the only way to circulate ideas. Uh, just because there are other ways to circulate ideas doesn't have anything to do with copyright. Copyright could be one way and its yeah. sole purpose could be to circulate ideas. The fact that notice, I want to point out what you did there, Ben, you're not arguing with that answer choice. Mm-hmm. You're accepting that answer choice as a fact. You're like, huh? So if sometimes publication of copyrighted works is not the only way to circulate ideas. So if there are other ways to circulate ideas besides publishing a copyrighted work, if there are other ways to circulate ideas, you're accepting that idea Mm -hmm. as a fact. Mm -hmm. And then you're considering whether it supports the conclusion that copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose. And you're determining no, it doesn't do shit. Yeah. So you're not arguing about the truth of that answer because this is a strengthen question. It says which one of the following, if true, is going to strongly support the conclusion, most strongly support the conclusion. And you're going, okay, well, A, even if it's a fact, who cares? Good. B, authors are willing to circulate their works even without any financial reward. Um, the fact that authors are sometimes willing to do this doesn't mean that the copyright has gone beyond its original purpose. It just means that it wasn't always necessary to accomplish that goal. But did it accomplish any other goals? As far as I know, it could still be accomplishing its goal and nothing else, even though some people don't need it to accomplish the goal. Sometimes a student will chime in in class and go, But isn't it also true that no author would actually do that? I mean, what author would be willing to circulate their works even without financial reward? I mean, isn't that another reason why B is wrong? Yeah. And there they're going after the truth of the answer choice, which doesn't matter. Right. That's just, that's where I have to say, thank you, but absolutely not. You No, that is not why B is wrong. We have to accept B as a fact. Authors are, in fact, willing to circulate their works even without any financial reward. Yep. Whether or not you think that's true in real life, and it's probably not true in many cases in mm-hmm. real life, mm-hmm. probably sometimes true, probably not true a lot as well. Who cares? I'm accepting that as a fact. Authors are willing to circulate their works even without any financial reward. Does that strengthen the idea that copyright sometimes goes beyond its original purpose? No. It's a total whiff. It has nothing to do with it. C. Sometimes authors are unable to find a publisher for their copyrighted works. Okay, so sometimes they're unable to fulfill. It's unable to (laughs) circulate ideas. That doesn't mean it went beyond its purpose and did something else. It just failed. That's you not being a good enough writer to find a publisher or not hustling enough to find a publisher. Who cares whether authors sometimes can't publish or who, who cares if authors all the time can't find a publisher Yeah, has nothing to do with whether copyright is or is not fulfilling its original purpose. Yeah. D there is no practical way to enforce copyrights. Okay, again, the question is, did it go beyond its original purpose? In other words, did it do something other 
then encourage the circulation of ideas by giving authors some financial reward. Uh, if there's no way to enforce this thing, that again just says to me, well, maybe it didn't succeed. But that doesn't mean that it went beyond. So again, I, I don't think this is helpful and I don't think it's saying that much. <laughs> well, I th- and I, I guess I think you're right about all that, but I also think that if anything, it seems like a weakener more than a strengthener. We're trying to prove that copyright has gone beyond its original purpose. D says there's no practical way to enforce a copyright. Yeah, that's, I if guess that's no what I'm trying to say to inf- is that maybe it d- didn't succeed, right? Like, it, if anything, it's, it's saying it did less, not more than. Right. So frequently wrong answers on a strengthen question will cut in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, D looks like a weakener. It's clearly out. Yep. E. Copyrights hold for many years after an author's death. Um, okay. It sounds like it's doing more <laughs> than what it originally intended because now there's like, how is that providing <laughs> a reasonable reward for the author? They're not even benefiting from it anymore. Someone else's. This is the answer that goes into your prediction. But even if people didn't make that prediction, the point is, is that something like something else is going on here. It's going beyond what it originally did. And that's all I'm looking for. I think many smart people, many educated people, people who follow the news, people with an interest in legal matters. Maybe you've taken an intellectual property class as an undergraduate Maybe you're just interested in these matters. You've worked in tech or something. I think many people are going to predict this answer that, hey, we know that Walt Disney is still getting paid decades after he died. Yeah. For how is that possibly fulfilling this original purpose, the sole purpose originally of copyright? And it's a, it's, it's a debate that we continue to have. Probably we will continue to have forever because Disney has billions of dollars to try to enforce their copyrights. But so I think half of the people who are going to get this one, right. Probably predicted something along those lines. But even if you didn't make that prediction, if we accept as true the answer E that copyrights hold for many years after an author's death. And if we accept as true that the sole purpose of copyright was to encourage the circulation of ideas by giving authors to the opportunity to derive a reasonable financial reward from their works. Walt Disney ain't getting this financial reward anymore. According to E. I mean, or it's his estate or his corporation or whatever that's getting these rewards. How is that the author getting a reasonable financial reward? So even if you hadn't made the prediction, yeah, if E fills in that blank, then it sure as hell looks like copyright is going beyond its original purpose as defined by the, by the passage. Cool. You ready for a personal statement? Yeah, I can do it. Sure. All right. So I'll read this email from A. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Greetings from Vancouver, Canada. You've been to Vancouver? Never been. Absolutely one of the greatest places on earth. Must go. Spectacularly beautiful. And it's in Canada, which means it's just more civilized. Highly recommend. Can't wait until COVID is over. And my American passport will once again get me over the border into Canada. Cool. Um... I have been listening to your podcast over the last couple of months and have got to say, it is an absolute gem. <laughs> well, not everybody agrees with that, but thank you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Many people find it a turd rather than a pearl, but anyway, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I am also a newer Demon Premium subscriber and I'm finding the delivery of information easy to follow, informative, and surprisingly enjoyable. I am particularly grateful for the strategies, lessons, and the drilling function. Cool. (sighs) 
easy to follow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Yep. I appreciate how critical the two of you are when reading personal statements on the podcast. I have attached mine to this email for your use and destruction. I really hope you use it. I'm applying to the University of British Columbia, where the limit for personal statements is 1,400 words. I am well short of that and do not feel the need to add more unless the two of you recommend otherwise. Probably not, but we'll see. I also have questions with regards to what to include and what not to include in an addenda. My educational journey was a bit of a shit show, and I would like to provide the admissions committees an explanation for this. Should I do this in my personal statement? No. I'm just answering that right now. I am honestly a bit lost and would really appreciate the guidance. The two of you have made studying for the LSAT and applying to law school a little less daunting, sometimes even fun. Shout out to everyone on your team who makes what you do possible. Thanks. Um, and yes, I agree. A shout out to the team. We des- we we really appreciate all that they do do. I, I want to talk about this addenda thing. People seem to still get this idea that they should put stuff like this in their personal statement. And I don't know where that's coming from, but the answer is a hard no. Do not address your shit show in your personal statement. And if you do address it at all in an addenda, it's got to be short and to the facts. Too many people vomit information that just makes their story and explanation worse than having not said anything at all. Oversharing negative aspects of your experience is one of the most common mistakes people make on their personal statements and on their applications more generally. I mean, there are certain things that you're going to have to disclose. For example, you got a DUI, you got caught cheating on something or other, and it's on your permanent record somehow, you know, Maybe if you you have a there's a two year gap in your undergraduate education for some reason, mm-hmm. but you better not focus on the shit show part. You, if you're gonna talk about the shit show, it needs to be making the shit show go away, not dwelling on it. <laughs> you're not the more you talk about it, the more I'm just gonna think you're a shit show. I don't know that you're a shit show until you like call my attention to it, by the way. I mean, I'm looking at your LSAT and your GPA, probably your undergraduate institution, your major, you know, glance at your resume, glance at your transcripts. I'm not you. I think students think that the schools are looking way more into every single little wrinkle of their application than they probably actually are. You know, they got thousands of applications. We looked at it uh, last night in class. UC Berkeley had, or maybe it was in my office hours on Monday. Anyway, you know, UC Berkeley had 6,000 applications. Of those, they admitted like 1,200 of them in order to get actual matriculation of like 300. Right? So they got a huge mountain of applications. They're going to admit a pretty healthy chunk of those, you know, they're admitting like all 20% of the applications they received. And then of those, they're going to get maybe a quarter of the people that like them back, you know, or actually accept the offer of admission because they have other offers of admission from a million other schools. Yeah. You don't need to call attention to the negatives of your application. They want to admit you. They have a huge stack of applicants. They're admitting most of the people that they're going to admit. They're admitting on the numbers anyway. You might think it was a shit show, but I don't know that it's a shit show worth discussing. Certainly not in your personal statement. Yep. Should we read it? Yeah, go for it. You got it? I got it. It says... Growing up in Vancouver's downtown east side, I witnessed extreme poverty, violence, and murder. Friends trafficked into the sex trade and the breaking down of souls by drugs and alcohol. 
It's not about you. I mean, yeah, you witnessed this, but again, we've talked about seeing things and it's very passive. Watching other people fail or succeed is not you failing or succeeding. And we don't want to hear about your failures anyways. This is also kind of grim and it's also from when you were growing up. It's, I really don't see any points for any of this. Right. No, I would cut that entire sentence. It's a, it's a bummer, man. What? Yeah. Vancouver is a super nice place. You also can walk around the corner and see people with literally needles hanging out of their arms in downtown Vancouver. Canada has a much more liberal drug policy where they don't like immediately throw those people in the slammer. Mm. They just kind of try to get them treatment and stuff. And I think it's a much better approach actually to, to, to the drug problem than criminalizing it. But nonetheless, heroin is very, very bad and does cause the breaking down of souls but you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Like there's urban poverty, violence, murder, sex trafficking, drugs. Yeah. And we're here to learn about a, we're not here to learn about the drug problem in Vancouver. Right. So the question I would always ask is, well, what did you do about it? Yep. And if you did something about it, Start with that. Second sentence, born into poverty. See, it's, and again, it's like, okay, so you're a poor little kid. Might be a good diversity statement. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, maybe there's something here for diversity, but I'm struggling to see how this is going to fit into personal statements. I, I'm not here to fill up my law school with poor... You know, I'm imagining a wayfish shoeless dirty footed kid walking around the urban poverty that's not the people that are coming to my law school i'm admitting adults to my law school with shoes on whether they came from poverty or not that's a matter from for the diversity statements sure but it's not like you're not putting your best foot forward here you're you're making yourself look like Someone who is disadvantaged. And although I feel for you, I'm not letting you into my law school based on sympathy. Right? I mean, I'm building a team of winners. I I want people who are going to win, be successful. And you telling me about all the poverty you came from isn't telling me about you being successful. Not yet, at least. So it's like too much background about poverty. Yep. Born into poverty, my childhood included lining up at soup kitchens, shoplifting, oh my God, to meet basic needs, and spending countless hours at local resource centers. Having fled civil war, my immigrant parents worked as building managers in some of the community's most decrepit hotels. Despite their best efforts, my family did not always have food on the table, but their hard work ensured that we always had a roof over our heads. Are you with me to just copy paste this whole thing into a diversity statement? Yep. I don't, this is, you're not, you're not selling me on you. I don't pick, I'm not picturing you as an attorney. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just not seeing you as a successful, you're not, you haven't given me anything positive about yourself. You haven't showed yourself doing anything. You've showed that you come from challenging circumstances, but there are a lot of people who come from challenging circumstances that have no right to be in law school. Yeah. I, it's like, I mean, because let's be really honest, the vast majority of people who come from these circumstances are not qualified for law school. They probably didn't even graduate high school or graduate, let alone graduate college. So there's an army of people who come from background, a background like yours. And it's a, it's a social problem. It is. These are circumstances that you certainly can overcome, but you got to get to the overcoming part. If you're going to make me start picturing you as someone who's going to be successful in my law school. Yeah. 
Working non-standard hours, <clears throat> whatever that means, my parents were unable to provide the care and supervision required for young children. With my grandfather's support, my family avoided the radar of child welfare services and stayed together. My grandfather was a staple in the community. Who cares? I, do you care, Ben? Nope. This is not about you yet. I'm waiting. I mean, I, like I do actually, in fact, care. But if it, it's just people don't understand the purpose of this writing assignment. The purpose of the writing assignment is to portray yourself as somebody who is going to kick ass in my law school. And you telling me about your grandfather being a staple in the community. You know, if anything, I'm like, wait a second. Now your grandfather was a staple in your community, but at the same time, you're like dodging child protective services for some reason. It's a little confusing. It's confusing. And anyway, you're a child still what you did as a, what you experienced as a child is only interesting to the extent that it affects what you have done as an adult. And it's taking too long to get there. I mean, I'm curious to see where this goes, but the argument you're effectively trying to make is a sympathetic one, right? Yeah. Accept me because my challenges I've were- I've seen some shit. Yeah. Challenges. Got the immigrant parents. I had to shoplift, which boy, don't mention that. Wow. <laughs> but- you have to think about is do you want to make the argument that you should be accepted because you need help or do you want to make the argument that you should be accepted because you're a badass one argument yeah. is a lot stronger than the other and right now the argument you're making no. is the first one no it's like your honor you should let my client off because my car broke down this morning on the way to court and I didn't have money to pay the toll. And, you know, like all, all of these hardships that you, in, that you endured isn't really building a case for y your desired outcome. The judge could it's, look at you and say, I'm really sorry that that's your situation. A lot of judges wouldn't give a shit, but some would say, I'm sorry that you're in that situation or you came from that situation. But my job right now is to decide whether this person is innocent or guilty or deserves yeah. a sentence or not. My job is to decide, should you be admitted to my law school and will you likely succeed here? And by the way, I have an obligation to make sure to not accept people who might fail because that's a disservice to not only us, but to you. We did a passage last night on cosmic justice. It's from test C2. Okay. It was a comparative reading passage about cosmic justice, where basically both of the passages, the main point was cosmic justice is bullshit. We are not omniscient beings, says passage A. Therefore, we can't possibly take into account all of everybody's background. We can't possibly know everything about your circumstances. And so it makes no sense for us to try to dispense this cosmic justice that takes into account all factors. Mm. Um, passage B goes on to make a different argument saying, well, even if we could do that, it would ruin the deterrent effect if we were to say, well, because you came from these circumstances, we're going to allow you to get away for, with murder. It was a more pragmatic argument against cosmic justice. But it seems as if that's what it seems as if that's what a is going for here, right? Is like, well, uh, I really went through some shit. That's why you should admit me. I mean, I realize a, that may not be where you're going and you may say, Hey, look, I'm successful now, but the point is, is that at this point, it sounds like you're trying to make the sympathy argument, the cosmic, cosmic justice argument, and you can lose us at any moment. We could stop right now and be like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. And, and we've given the blanket advice before. Don't talk about your childhood. Don't, don't talk about junior high. Don't talk about high school. Anything high school and before is just not probably what you should be talking about. I'm not admitting children to my law school. I'm not admitting high schoolers to my law school. I'm admitting adults to my law school. 
And so I want your personal statement to make you look like an adult right now. All I'm doing is I'm picturing a poor person, a poor child, which no matter how much of a bleeding heart I might be, I'm not admitting poor shoplifting children to my law school. So you got to get to the adult bit. I think you can copy all this, use it in some, use it in a diversity statement, but I don't think it's even one shred of appropriate for your personal statement. Agreed. To my siblings and me. So this is a is going on about their grandfather to my siblings and me. He was our primary caregiver and the person with whom we shared most of our childhood memories. Who cares? Despite the critical support that my grandfather provided, he was ordered to leave the country due to his age and my parents' inability to support him financially. Ouch. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but Also, you had just said that he was a staple in the community, which is now really confusing. Like, yeah. he, he, why, he's a staple in the community makes me think that he's this like really – admirable, honorable provider, but then now you're shoplifting and he's getting deported because <laughs> of his uh, very age? confusing and not about you. I hate all of this. Yeah. I, I would, I don't think this is on the right track at all. Uh, learning about our situation, the premier at the time, Michael F. Harcourt founder of the Vancouver Community Legal Assistance Society, intervened. Uh Premier Harcourt wrote a letter of support for my grandfather, and through an appeal process, my grandfather was able to stay in the country. This sounds like an origin story. This is why I want to go to law school. (laughs) Yeah, it's like because my family was involved in this one legal case, that's why you should admit me to law school. That's a, that's a terrible argument. That's a terrible argument. <laughs> that makes you look so naive. That's just like, it makes it look, oh, this happened to me. No, through, I mean. It didn't even happen to you. A, it happened to your grandfather. <laughs> it's like A has done one thing so far in this personal statement, which is. To witness. <laughs> Well, okay. A has done a few things. The one action though that I remember A taking is shoplifting. Yeah. Okay. So A shoplifting. A has shop so far she has he he or she has lined up at a soup kitchen and shoplifted and witnessed some stuff, including the grandfather almost getting deported. There's unnecessary garbage in here about Michael F. Harcourt, founder of the Vancouver. I don't care. What? Who cares? I'm not here to learn about that guy. I probably already know that. Presumably, the law school knows more about this person than you do. So what? Why are you telling them about that person? They're not here to learn about that person or your grandfather. They're here to learn about you. And all of this can go. The, none of this. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't save one word of any of this. Third paragraph. The series, this series of events taught me that Even amidst some of Canada's greatest public disorder, the law could be applied as a powerful tool for good. A is a new, she's a, he or she is a new listener to the show. Yeah. Apparently, because none of this is good. We're, we don't, you don't tell the law school about the glory of the law. They know so much more about it than you do. Jesus. They know so much more about it than you do. You know, it's like, it's kind of like a bringing sand to the beach type of a situation. You're just like, you're, you're, they, they sell law school. That's what they do. And you're now telling them about how good their product is. Yeah. They don't, what? For this reason, I have believed in the law regardless of the trials and tribulations I have experienced as a radicalized individual. Now I'm scared. You're radicalized? What does that mean? (laughs) Do you think law schools are looking for radicals? No. (laughs) Law schools are looking for good worker bees. Yep. 
This experience has fueled within me a deep passion. If there's one word I don't want you to include in your personal statement, it's passion for community and public service with an overarching interest in the rule of law. The fuck are you even talking about? An overarch, you have an overarching interest in the rule of law. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? What do you mean? Since it, since it, since your grandfather almost got deported, therefore you have an overarching interest in the rule of law. <laughs> I, it's a situation actually in which the law was violated. In an attempt to correct a wrong, right? The law actually didn't save your grandfather here. I, the politics of the situation. The law was about to deport your grandfather. And you miraculously appealed the law. Anyway, you haven't done jack shit here. You're telling me all of these things about what you believe about the law. You haven't been to law school. Therefore, I give no shits what you believe about the law. People who haven't gone to law school don't know anything about the law. Yep. Even people who have gone to law school, what they have realized is how little they know about the law. You haven't gone to law school yet, so you think you know things about the law. I feel like we've said <laughs> this don't. so much that I hate to repeat it, but I think we need to. Apparently, people still aren't getting the message. 30% of applicants say that they want to pursue some sort of public service or public interest, yet only 1% or 2% actually do anything that might be remotely considered public service. So if you're an admissions officer and you're reading this, you're shaking your head saying, yeah, really? You want to go into public interest? Join the group of liars, essentially. It, well, and it... It, it, I mean, I think law schools actually encourage this type of application because they just want everybody to apply, right? When you look at, mm -hmm. at law school personal statement advice from law schools, like if you let the fox guard the hen house, law schools are like, oh, write about anything you want. Tell us about your origins of your interest in the law. Tell us about your passion for community and how you want to be a public interest lawyer, mm -hmm. right? But the truth of who actually end up ends up practicing law, it's far more pragmatic. It's much more about money. And so it's just like, I don't know. The law schools are, well, the business that they are in involves ripping off like half the people who go to their school. That's, that's a, that's just true. I mean, half the people who go to most law schools don't practice law, right? Or they don't practice for very long. And so, I don't know. It's like what you're doing here, it's almost like you're just giving the school permission to, yeah, okay, you know, your numbers are good enough. We'll admit you. And of course, we're going to charge you full tuition. The situation's not nearly as bad in Canada, by the way. The tuitions are not like outrageous like mm -hmm. they are in the United States. The yeah. scholarships aren't outrageous like they are in the United States. Yeah. So I don't want to shit on specifically um, University of British Columbia. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about American law schools more than I'm talking about Canadian law schools, but I don't know that anyway, you're just, this, uh, this origin story, as you say, Ben is not really convincing me. Any, anybody could come up with an origin story like this, your, your reasons for your, this overwhelming passion that you have for the rule of law. I don't believe it. I don't, I just don't believe you until you demonstrate that you have done anything about it. Yeah. So what do you do? Who are you? Who are you now today? What do you do? I first attempted to pursue this interest through the study of criminology and a career in policing. Okay. Now we're talking about adult stuff. I'm assuming criminology undergrad started off as a cop. That's definitely legal adjacent shit. Mm -hmm. And I, I would just so much rather hear a story about what you do as a cop. Yep. 
I was well into my first degree and positioning myself for a job when I had a moment of realization that would ultimately change my career path. <laughs> Ben's shaking his head. <laughs> you don't like the moment of realization? No, it just, there's too many moments of realization going on in this statement. Well, there's just like, also, even if this is true, right? <laughs> moments of realization, I think, are revealing to the person who has them like you're excited you're like oh wow cool but like happen like happens so often in these personal statements that we read on the show they have the opposite of the intended effect so instead of it being like this glorious revelation from heaven all of a sudden i'm sitting here going okay like you're making a career move based on like a, a momentary realization there wasn't like a thoughtful deliberation about what you should do. It doesn't show leadership. It just shows kind of like living by the seat of what is the phrase? I don't even know. But anyways, yeah. And 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 anyway, all we care about is what happened after this moment of realization. Yeah, we don't care about how you the twists and turns of all of your. You thought you wanted to do this, but then you realized you actually wanted to do that. But then you ended up having an epiphany to do this other thing. It's like, I don't care what do you, get to the point about you taking action, you thinking things, you feeling things, you realizing things is not you doing things. And so I want to like, I want one shred of action from a, what, what did you do? I had a moment of realization. Okay, but I was on the volunteer patrol with the Vancouver Police Department's Citizens Crime Watch when a call came in over the radio about a man who had stolen six sandwiches from a 7-Eleven in the downtown core. My unit drove to the area, and when we arrived, there were at least nine police cars with lights blazing and a weathered man lying on the cement under arrest. I remember feeling embarrassed and ashamed by the comments made around me. What comments? I was disgusted by this response to poverty. What response? This was the moment I decided to switch career paths and, and pursue a degree in social work. Little did I know the impact that this decision would have on my life. Okay, Ben, we have to cut all four of these first pair. This is not what we want. Yeah. Tell me about your career as a social worker, okay? Just cut all this bullshit and tell me what you do as a social worker. All of this epiphanies and realizations and by the way, you you just you just broadly shit on the entire Vancouver Police Department. I don't know if you realize that or not, but like this dude stole sandwiches, they arrested him, and now you're just embarrassed by comments which you don't even describe i don't think you should describe them because i don't think you should tell the story but you're just like oh look at the basically you're like oh these dirty cops arresting this guy <laughs> what what did okay i believe you that you're passionate about all these issues and I'm sure that the cops were in the wrong here. I believe you that they said shit they shouldn't have said, and they probably treated this guy in a way that they shouldn't have treated him. They didn't understand the poverty you. that led to his situation, but it, it's not an argument you want to make or need to make. It's, it's not a, yeah, it's not about you. You shitting on the cops is not you selling yourself, you know what I mean? And, and so it's like the origin stories have to go. The shitting on other people has to go. The complaining about problems in society has to go. It's it's all really common. It's a, it's like people think that they're telling this beautiful, sad story, but it, in truth, it's like so mundane. I mean, we see more personal statements that look like this than not. It's so common. It's so boring. You know, and and what I was really here to learn about was what you do. Sounds like they're about to get around to it here by telling me something about their social work career. Yep. Which would be great. But, you know, instead I'm getting the whole long buildup and little did I know the impact this decision would have on my life. What, what impact? impact? <laughs> what are you fucking talking Let's about? Let's see it. Let's see it. Just show us the impact. <laughs> get to the point. God damn. I completed my Bachelor of Social Work at an indigenous post-secondary institution 
where we dove deep into the topics of colonization, social justice, and indigenous rights. I took classes. I thought you were going to tell me about your social work career. Yeah. Now you're rambling to me about what you studied in college. I mean, it's on your resume and transcripts. I reconnected with my indigeneity. That's a word I've never seen before. Mm. My indigeneity. I'm sure you don't capitalize that word, by the way. <laughs> Challenged previously held beliefs and values and expanded my overall understanding of the world. It's all telling. It's all telling. Blah, 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 blah. My undergrad, I learned so much, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, this is where I came into my own as an individual and recognized my interest in social policy. It's telling. What the heck? All, huh? Anyone could say this. Oh, I've learned so much about the world. I've learned so much about myself. I've really figured out what I want to do. Okay, what are you doing? What are also, you doing? Also, I already thought you had a deep passion for community and public service with an overarching interest in the rule of law since that time that your grandpa almost got deported. Yeah, this is so like a weird twist. what is it with twist. epiphany after epiphany after epiphany of you learning the same thing a thousand times? Yeah. Okay, last few paragraphs. Although I struggled with poverty throughout my time as an undergraduate, I was determined not to let it dictate my future. When I was accepted into a master of social work program, I tossed a mattress, a pillow, and some blankets into the back of my old Ford Explorer and set off to Calgary, prepared to live out of my car. At this point, education had opened doors for me that I had never imagined, and I knew that the benefits of completing my degree would outweigh the detriment of homelessness. The difficulties I encountered in pursuing this degree were great, but my perseverance and ability to access resources proved greater. I graduated with a new level of self-confidence, which I continue to carry with me today. It's all telling. I mean, anyone could say this. The difficulties I encountered in pursuing this degree were great, but my perseverance and ability to access resources proved greater. Anyone could copy that sentence, throw it into their personal statement, yeah. and we would be none the wiser because we have no way of telling whether that's true or not. Everyone who is still alive has persevered, right? I mean, like everyone has encountered difficulty. In pursuing their degree too. <laughs> From a relativist position, everyone has encountered equal difficulty, by the way. And everyone has done an equal amount of perseverance. If it's all relative, Ben, then, then it's no, no one's experience is different from anyone else's. I'm not saying that that's a fact. I'm just saying... You, to to your point, Ben, I'm agreeing with you mm -hmm. that you could copy and paste that into literally anyone's personal statement and it would mean the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. Also, I graduated with a new level of self-confidence, pure telling. You know, I don't believe that you're that self-confident unless you show it to me through your actions. I would move literally all of this into a diversity statement. I don't see anything here that is a good personal statement. And topic. you're going to have to delete a lot of it once it gets there. But yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a lot of it is oversharing and too much complaining, too much whining about all the injustices in the world. I, I, we know about those. You're, it's condescending throughout, uh, sorry, through the current global pandemic, I have had the opportunity to utilize my education and experience to support my community. What does that mean? Too vague. Give me specifics. At Luma Medical Center, I work with Vancouver's urban indigenous population providing counseling services during this critical time. We're getting closer, Ben. <laughs> yeah. But it's still I work with instead of like what you actually do. Yep. What does work mean? Be specific. Work is vague. Providing counseling services. You could say I counsel. I meet with... I help them do X, Y, Z. I research this for them. I help them fill out this paperwork. I get these government resources for them. I connect them I, with, yeah, a exactly. pro bono attorneys. Job counseling. I work with them on their resume. I help them fill out the application for McDonald's, whatever it is. Like you're, 
but it's got to let's get get to the specifics. That's I think that's where we would encourage a to expand. Yeah, I think all the rest of it can go, and we need to expand on some like what do you do right now? What are you doing working with these people? I have also been driven to teach. And am currently an instructor at the Nicola Valley Institute of Technology. Here, I have the privilege of supporting Indigenous students through their educational journeys during the most challenging time in some of their lives. (sighs) Why do people try to go so big picture? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're taking a picture of Earth from outside of our solar system and we can't even see anything on the ground. We, we, this is, we got nothing about you. We're, what do you mean you support them through their educational journeys during the most challenging time in some of their lives? What are we, what are you talking about? What What do you do? What do you do to support them? What do you do at work? (laughs) Right. Right. And why are you complaining about their challenges still? It's so much about challenges of other people. COVID, which has got to be tiring for admissions officers at this point. But um, <laughs> at least, at least, a you are now talking about something that you're you're on the topic of your action, right? You of your. But we need to drill down. Yes to the specific action. So at least right now you're me focusing on earth, right? As opposed to focusing on like right. fucking Mars or <laughs> right. some other like black area of the space. It's outside the Milky way <laughs> before all this. Now we're getting into like, okay, now we're getting closer to where we could start to learn things about what you actually do, but we need to zoom in substantially. Yes. More. Yep. Overall, so now it goes back the other way, though. Right? <laughs> Zoom back the next out. sentence says, Overall, I have used this moment to continue learning and to support individuals through these difficult times. By the way, you're repeating yourself so much. Yeah. You just said it's the most challenging time in some of their lives, and you support them through their journeys. Let's take another then, picture of Earth from far away. Overall, <laughs> I do the same thing again. Yeah. Okay, but we don't know what you actually do to support these people. Yeah. Last paragraph, I never believed it possible for me to pursue a Juris Doctorate at the University of British Columbia. (laughs) Don't say Juris Doctorate. (sighs) I followed other passions which have ultimately contributed to solidifying my purpose for law school. What? What? What passion? Like what? What other what? passion? And how does that solidify your purpose for law school? I know you're applying to my law school. I know you want to go to law school. You don't have to convince me of that. The possibility of continuing my public service through law excites me. I hope to use my experience and privilege to continue supporting individuals, families, and communities through new and meaningful avenues. And that's the f- end of the statement. I'm sorry. You need more substance. Yeah. For me, this is quite bad. Like a D. The writing could be worse. So it's not an F. No, the writing is not great, but it's not horrible. Um, and this is what we talk about, right? Content and style. And I think A is confusing his or her style with the success of the personal statement. It's like, oh, I'm my sentences are fairly clear, which they are. It's not like you're using big words a lot of the times, but uh, unfortunately, your content is just totally lacking, and it's ten times more well, important. What did we actually learn about A? Again, it's. It's an impersonal, personal statement, right? It's like we're we're not okay. I have learned that uh, A grew up poor. I have learned that A is indigenous. I have learned that A studied indigenous stuff and weirdly criminal justice and wanted to be a cop maybe, and then kind of got into social work and. A had described 
this as potentially a shit show. And now I, that's like the impression that I'm left with actually is that, Oh, this doesn't really make very much sense. Yeah. Which is fine. Nobody's story makes sense. They don't expect your story to make sense. But you don't need to tell a story that doesn't make sense. No. You focus in on you the You can work tell a story did. that does make sense yeah. by just telling me about one of these clients that you worked with, not so much about them, but what you did, what For you them. do. Yep. You can show me a day in the life of, of, at work. You can show me, you can take me through one particularly challenging client and the success that you were able to find with that client. Or you could talk about your teaching at this Institute of Technology. What do you, what do you teach there? Yeah, exactly. Show me what it's like in your classroom. You know, I mean, and I think I would probably pick one or the other, you know, Mm -hmm. either focus on the social work or focus on the teaching and just do a deep dive into one of those things because they're going to come away then going, oh, a social worker works with indigenous people, wants to go to law school now. Awesome. Look at all this great work that they did for these indigenous people. Awesome. Yep. But not you want to help the indigenous people. You do fucking help the indigenous people and you got to be specific about what you do to help them. Alternatively, if you focus on the teaching, show me you kicking ass for one of your students, show me you kicking ass in your classroom, you know, maybe during COVID fine, whatever, but show me a picture of you kicking ass. And then I come away going, Oh, a teacher. Yep. Kicked ass through COVID wants to go to law school. Great. But instead, the picture that's being painted here is, oh, grew up in poverty, really kind of meandering, looks like couldn't find a path in life, maybe still hasn't found a path in life. Is this person a social worker? Are they a teacher? What is, huh? Yeah. And now you want to go to law school? You seem lost. If you said, I'm a social worker, this is what I do. Now I'm going to go to law school because I want to take this to the next level. I'd be like, wow, you're an adult. And you see the direction of your life. People think that they can just keep restating their passions over and over and over. And that that's going to carry any weight. But what they don't understand is that it's so easy for everyone to just over and over say how passionate you are and say uh, again and again what you want to do. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to learn about what you actually do. And so you got to just go deeper into one of these areas because, yeah, right now, I mean, it, it comes off as very young. It comes off as it comes off as like, oh, right out of college, maybe had a couple different ideas about what they wanted to do. Still haven't sorted it out. Mm-hmm. They think they're going to change the world for indigenous people by going to law school, whether or not that's actually feasible. We don't know instead of all these conclusions about what you're going to do with your juris doctor, you need to talk about what you actually do right now. Anything else to add? Nope. Thank you for writing in. I hope that helps you. I hope you understand the analogy that we're trying to give you with the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Study hard for the LSAT, by the way. I mean, continue working on that. The LSAT is much more important than your personal statement. You really need to nail the LSAT. They know your LSAT score before they're reading your personal statement, I would assume in almost every case. And so like get the numbers in the right spot so that they will take you more seriously. Then with this personal statement. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we need to focus on, the last six months or year of your life, tell us a story, maybe two stories about you actually providing the support that you keep vaguely talking about without any specifics. hundred percent. Um, if you enjoyed the last 20 minutes of the podcast, you also would probably enjoy our personal statement wood chipper that we do as part of the LSAT demon. We get a lot of, personal statements into the show and we cover as many of them as we can help at thinking and we'll cover um, maybe if you're lucky, we'll cover your personal statement on the show. 
we would love to be able to do that for you. We do uh, right now we're doing two per week as part of the demon live subscription. It's basically first come first served. We just put two people on the agenda every week and uh, shred them for demon live subscribers. It's just one of the services that we offer. Um, I have a co-host Ben. Did you see this on Slack? Did you see who's going to co-host the wood chipper with me next week? The one and only a dot, the one and only a dot. Annalisa is uh, going to join me. I think it's going to be much better to have two people doing it instead of just one. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm very much looking forward to that. That's going to happen uh, the day after this show airs because the wood chipper has moved to Tuesday next week because of the holiday. Mm. Anyway, that's all at lsatdemon.com if you want to learn more about what we offer there. Cool. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. Nathan's Twitter is nfox. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. And as Nathan just said, email help at thinkinglsat.com for questions for the show or help at lsatdemon.com for questions for the LSAT Demon team. That email is managed by three or four of our finest, so should get a response pretty quickly. Anyways. Oh yeah. That was episode 278 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Don't pay for law school. And Oh, nice knowing you <laughs> switch that around. But-